0: Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. Remain standing for the song that follows. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May God bless the reading of his word. Have you ever seen anything more beautiful than that flower arrangement right there? We're thankful for the Owens family for sharing that with us. And if you in the back can't see it, well, when you leave, walk past up here. It's worth the trip. Well, tomorrow we'll be celebrating the 235th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, that document that set us on the course of becoming uh, one of the greatest nations this earth has ever seen, and certainly a nation that has blessed each one of us. And every time we come around to this that we now call our nation's birthday, that we indeed are thankful to be alive at this time and to have been blessed by such a country as this. Uh, I want to begin today by reading the opening lines of this Declaration of Independence. And in these lines, the, uh, those men who were deciding the course and the future for this country are saying basically that it has come time to separate ourselves from England, to become independent. And that they feel like in doing that, that they owe the rest of the world an explanation as to why we feel like we have the right to do this. So listen to these familiar words to you, but to remind you once again of how this document begins. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another... And to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. So. Like I say, they say we're going to separate ourselves from England and we think we owe it to the world to explain why. So listen then as he continues on and tells why. And he's going to give two basic reasons why they feel like that, that it's, it, it's a right thing to do. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Isn't that interesting? They're saying we're not going to have to prove what we're saying. When we say what we say you're going to all nod your heads and say, that's right. That is just true. These aren't things that have to be argued for. They just go to the very heart of who we are. And everyone will agree that what we're about to say is true because these things are self-evident. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Number one, that all men are created equal. And number two, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. All of us are equal, and all of us have certain rights that you cannot take away from us or should not take away from us. Among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So they say these are self evident. And as we, a nation, hear them once again at this time in our history, we nod our heads and say, That's right. All people are created equal. And all of us do have certain rights that should not be taken away. Well, this morning, I want to lay before you another idea of some other things that are self-evident. Scripture is oftentimes self-evident. There are scriptures in this holy book that when they are read, all you can do is shake your head and say, you know… That is truth. That's right. You don't have to have anyone prove it to you. You don't have to have any arguments to back it up. You just know when you hear these words, they cut right through who you are, all the way to your heart, and you know that the one who gave us those words is the one who made us. You just know it, it's self evident. That's not really true with all of the Bible. There are parts of Scripture that that do need to be explained. There are parts of Scripture that at times need to be shown to be true. For example, if you're a person that's read the Old Testament much, the, the name Hittite is a name that's familiar to you. You know that the children of Israel often encountered this nation of people called Hittites, And according to the Bible, they were a significant people. They were a rather powerful people. Well, for years and years, secular scholars, those who kind of sneered at the Bible and its inspiration, said, well, that's proof that that the Bible is wrong because there's no such people as the Hittites we have all these archaeological records, we have all these historical records and nowhere in archaeology or history are the Hittites ever mentioned. They didn't even exist much less were they some mighty empire. Well guess what? At the first or beginning of the 20th century an archaeologist uncovered several hundreds of clay tablets there in Israel and as they began reading them it was a detailed history of the Hittites. And it was proven there by these ancient words that not only did the Hittites exist, but that they were a mighty empire in the area, just like the Bible had said. Well, that's an instance in which archaeology or history comes to our aid It defends the truth of the Bible. And once again, we can hold up this and say, see, we told you so, the Bible's right, and here is proof that it's right. Well, the passages that I want us to look at today don't need that kind of proof. They just stand on their own. And in fact, the scripture itself tells us that the Word of God can be that way. The prophet Isaiah says, That the word of the Lord is mighty, and when the Lord Lord sends his word out, it goes throughout all the earth, and it does not return to him empty. That it has its effect. That when God speaks, things happen, and his word comes into us and changes us, it touches our hearts. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, indeed, the word of God is living, it's active, It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces into us until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and even the intentions of the heart. Now, we've got some folks here who can stand up and testify to the truth of that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had this experience or not. Have you ever just got your Bible down and thought, well, it's Bible reading time, you know, I I need to read my Bible, I'm so, you start reading it, and you're doing it more out of a sense of duty of ought to, and I should, and then all of a sudden, you find that word just going right through you, and opening you up, and laying you before the Lord, and it just does exactly what this scripture says it does. The Word of God can be that way. Another passage that talks about the power of the Word is over in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and this passage is quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 10, but let's go back and read the original version. Back in Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking, and he says this, Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It's not way up in heaven that someone should say, well, who can go up into heaven for us and get it so that we can hear it and obey it? In other words, he's saying, God's not playing peekaboo with you. He's not putting his word way up there and, and someone's got to climb up into heaven to find it. He says, also, it is not far on the other side of the sea that someone should say, well, who's going to go across to the other side of the sea that he can get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? No, he says, the word of God is very near to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. The Word of God is powerful. And it's near us. And it works on us. James chapter 1, verse 21 tells us, With meekness, receive the implanted Word of God. Open your heart to it. Let it do its work, for in it, James tells us, is the salvation of your soul. Now, the reason we're talking about this is because as I began looking today or earlier in the week at the scriptures that were assigned to today, I began noticing that these were scriptures that are self-evident. That these are the scriptures that when you read these, there's nothing to do but say that's right. And when we read these, we realize that this is God speaking to us. The first one of these is Romans chapter 7. It's verses 18 through 25. I didn't put it up on the screen for you to read along with me because I want you just to listen to this one. This one's kind of a negative one, but you know we need things like this. We need Scripture that not only encourages us, we need Scripture that gets into us and begins to cut out the things that shouldn't be there. We need Scripture to rebuke us. We need Scripture to identify with us. This one identifies with us in our human weakness, keeps us humble, helps us to realize who we are and where we are. Listen to this, Romans chapter 7. Paul is writing, he says, for I know... That nothing good dwells within me that is in my body, in my flesh. I know there's not a single person here in this room that hasn't felt that way sometime. That things have happened, you've realized stuff about yourself, and you say, you know, there's just nothing good there. That I can will to do what is right, he says. I I want to do what is right. But it just seems like I can't do it. For I do not do the good things I want to do. What I do is the evil that I don't want to do. So I find this to be kind of a rule or a law. That when I want to do good, it seems like evil is always just right there. I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. Oh, how much I enjoy God. I love Him. I love Him dearly. But... What I see inside of me is another rule or another law, and it's at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Sometimes I am such a wretched person. You just got to close your ears and say, I don't want to hear that. But if you open your ears, you say, you know, that's right. There have been times like that in my life where I'm so frustrated with myself. And it's kind of encouraging, too, because it really lets us know we, we do love God. Even when we struggle and even when we're failing, it's not so much a failing of the heart, because our heart delights in God. But there's something there. Paul goes on to say, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I want to move on to another passage that every one of us here has read probably thousands of times. Most of us in this room at one time or another have committed these words to memory. Many of you could close your eyes and say them with me right now. They're words that are self-evident. Psalm 23. And no matter how many times we've read them, no matter how many times we've recited them, Every time we hear these words, something happens in our heart. We know that God has spoken to us. Read along with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. Now, that's God talking. And I don't have to prove that to you. I don't have to give any evidence that those words come and touch our hearts and open our hearts and are soothing to our hearts and reassuring to us that God indeed is our shepherd and he loves us and he takes care of us. And even when we walk that valley of the shadow of death, he will walk it with us. And goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives and then after that, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our text falls into this category as well. We'll go back and look at Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28 in just a moment. You know, when Jesus went out preaching, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all sum up his sermon this way, that when Jesus went out and preached, here's what he preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I believe he probably opened almost every one of his sermons that way. He probably closed his sermons that way, and the, the the in-between part of the sermon all led to that same conclusion that his message was that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now that doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is 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 coming someday. What it means is it's right here and it's available now that God has made himself accessible to you. God has made himself available to you. It's much as if you were driving down the road and you're hungry and you look and you say, Behold, a restaurant is at hand. Let us stop and eat. It's just right there. It's available. If you want what God can give you, if you want him in your life, he's there and waiting for you. And all you have to do to receive him is to change your ways, to repent. And in fact, it's possible now to repent because God is available. He will come to you. He will come and be a part of your life. Now, it's with that background that he says these beautiful words. And we hear his plea that if we will let go of ourselves... If we will forget about that sinful self that Paul was talking about, if we will trust him that he really knows what's best for us, and that what he has to give us is what is truly life, then we will find rest and we will find blessing. Let's see this passage again and read this one with me and see if your heart is not touched. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Now, wait a minute. Some of you guys today are in the best place you've ever been in your life. You know, good things are happening, and the future is bright, and all is wonderful. Most of us are more of a mixture Some things are good and some things are bad. Some of us right now are just sort of dragging along and carrying those heavy burdens. This is a word to you that if you will trust him and bring him your burdens that he will give you rest. Next verse. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me For you will find rest for your souls. Trust me, he's saying, my way of life works. And if you will let me be your guide and let me be the one who walks with you, I will give you rest. And finally, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Last week we talked in Romans chapter 6 about how sometimes we kind of think that if we get too much God in our lives, that it'll kind of keep us from really enjoying all of life. Jesus' words here call us to trust Him that His yoke fits us. It's easy. And what He wants to put in our heart and in our lives is light and good. Now you tell me, you can't hear those words without knowing the truth and knowing that that is God calling you to come to Him. One of my favorite uh, devotional reader, devotional type authors, is Richard Foster. He's done a lot of writing on spirituality, on prayer. And he tells a story about a friend of his named Lyman James, who's a disc jockey, goes by the name Ryman Lyman, which is, I think, a little unfortunate myself. But anyway, uh, he said that this this guy had a little boy who was almost three years old, and he had planned his name, the little boy's name was Zachary, and he had planned an an afternoon free with Zachary. And he was going to take Zachary out, and they were going to just do everything, and Zachary was just going to be amazed at what a wonderful dad he was. So they head out for their outing, and any of you ever had a two- or three-year-old boy? Things do not always go as planned, and Zachary was kind of cranky, and Zachary didn't want to do all these things, and Zachary was fussy and fidgety. And Lyman was getting really frustrated with him because this wasn't the way it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be this marvelous time together. And he could feel almost the anger and the resentment building up against this little boy. And then he caught himself. And he said, this little boy doesn't need to be scolded. This little boy needs to be loved. And so he picked Zachary up in his arms, and Zachary was kind of squirmy, and he began singing to him. And he just was making a song up and singing off-key. And he was singing, Zachary, I love you. You're the perfect little boy. I love your little nose and I love your little eyes. You are so smart. And just on and on. He would just make up these lyrics and keep coming back to Zachary. You're my son. I'm so proud of you. And I love you. And he said after a while, Zachary began to calm down. And they went on and had a pretty decent day together. And as Zachary began to tire and he put him in his little car seat to take him back to the house, Zachary was almost exhausted but he looked up with his little eyes and said, Daddy, sing that song to me again. We need words like this. We hunger for words like this. Oh, sometimes we try to act like we don't need that. But in our hearts, we're all still two and three-year-old kids that need our father to tell us that He loves us, that we need our Father to say, if you'll come to me, I'll give you rest. We're going to stand and we're going to sing together and some of our leaders in this church will be standing around on the sides and you can identify us. And if you're carrying those heavy burdens, if God is speaking to your heart today, will come and let us help you as you truly give your heart to Him. Let's stand and sing.